truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, filth, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. And welcome, everybody, to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. This is Jason Floyd, your host, and it's been a while. It's been about a week and a half, two weeks since uh, we published our last podcast. As everybody knows, it is summer in Alaska, and the fish are running, and uh, so are the... uh, the tourists and the uh, the seasonal immigrants from the Anchorage Bowl, uh, they're running amok on our streets. It's been pretty much every single day we've had a severe accident. So if you are listening to this uh, podcast and you're not from here and you want to visit, please drive safely because uh, our friends and neighbors deserve to be able to enjoy the peninsula as well. Today I have uh, with me uh, as our guest Don Liston, who is uh, joining us by telephone from uh, the fair Eagle River, uh, uh, upper reaches of Eagle River, I suppose. And uh, Don has a blog that he writes called Alaska's Advocate Writer, uh, Don Liston. So welcome to the show, Don. Thank you very much, uh, Jason. It's nice to be here again. So uh, we're weighing in today. Uh, there's been some news in the ongoing saga of the Alaska Grand Jury uh, protest that has been going on uh, down here at the Kenai Courthouse. And I've already had our, our friend and neighbor, uh, uh, Ed Martin Jr., uh, drop in a couple of times. Um, as uh, well as uh, a couple of other folks have uh, have weighed in. But uh, why don't you bring us up to speed, Don, on, on what has transpired. Uh, apparently, last week on Wednesday, uh, something went down, and uh, you've been writing about that. And so I'll, I'll just turn it over to you. Give us an update on, on that process. Well, the bottom line was there was a, uh, a grand jury. Uh, it had been going on now for three weeks. This is a great um, requirement for people as citizens to take one day out of every week over three months to go and and do the duties of a grand jury. There are two duties of the grand jury. One of those is to uh, serve as a um, prosecuting body that looks at the evidence and prosecutes people for for um, capital offenses. The other maybe more important role of the grand jury is to uh, look at government corruption or government misdeeds and, and be able to uh, identify those and write a report about them. They don't get to really prosecute, although they could. And there have been situations where grand juries have prosecuted governors. They've prosecuted uh, many people who have done things that were wrong and, and we're able to uh, fix that problem. And that's not happened in Alaska since about 1990 because uh, we got spooked. We had uh, a governor, Bill Sheffield, who was brought up on charges um, in na- 1987 of uh, corruption. And um, instead of prosecuting him, the, ju- the grand jury threw it to the Senate and it never made it out of the Senate committee. The, the whole Senate never got to vote on it. So we, I don't know 
if that was a kibosh on grand juries, but we know that since the 90s, the grand jury has not had the power that it was meant to have, according to the founders, in our Constitution. So, uh, I think I'm having some audio difficulties here. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you fine, but it is breaking up a little bit. Okay. I've got a, a wonky mic here. Um, we may uh, we may start over. There we go. Sorry. So we got we got a, I got a headset that's not working right. Anyway, um, so last week we had David Haig go into, as I understand it, go into the grand jury's room and present. No, what happened was um, we decided, and, and I was there, okay? I came over from, from Eagle River to be present for this. Um, and we all went into the, the building. I was there as a representative of the press. I've been a representative of the press since the uh, late, well, since the mid-1970s when I worked for the Daily News. I've been writing ever since. Um, and so... Uh, they challenged me on being a representative of the press, and um, I didn't worry about that because what I'm doing is recording the facts of what happened. We actually, and for the first time, went into the facility, and they instructed me then, don't take pictures inside the facility. And we, um, he went in and presented to the clerk that he wanted this material to go to the grand jury. Um they had already taken, and at great inconvenience to the grand jury, that this was their last day to to be on the grand jury. They went and um, told the grand jury not to come until afternoon, one o'clock. And so, um, by compressing the day like that, the grand jury was not able to. Um, they must have had something they wrapped up. I don't know exactly. It's supposed to be secret, but at any rate. When they, as they were going in, I actually said to one of the grand jury members, I said, do what's right. And she put up her thumbs up. Um, the grand jury was prepared to do. This is the sixth grand jury that has been willing to look at this information and has been denied by the state employees that happen to be lawyers that got appointed to be judges. And they have decided that they, that they are going to override what the Constitution says is the power of the people. My story documents this completely, and I also have a story about what happened with Bill Sheffield and the amazing things, amount of money that they crashed through um, at the North Slope Borough um, in those days. Now, it's interesting... Uh... Mr. Martin came in, and I, I was not able to verify this independently through uh, the archive. I, I assume there is an archive at the Borough Assembly of past minute uh, or meetings, uh, recorded meetings. But uh, in my attempt to prepare for today, I was not able to actually find the link. It's not something that they publish in a um, user-friendly manner where you could just go back and listen to those uh those past uh, proceedings, but uh, Mr. Martin had said that um, 
uh, Representative Ben Carpenter here locally uh, had gone to the previous uh, borough assembly meeting and, and basically held out the position that he, he is the only legislator uh, in Juneau who is actively pursuing this issue and, um, and trying to get to the bottom of it. Now, he's running unopposed, uh, as far as I know, uh, for the uh, seat that represents Nikiski, uh, Salmatov, and, and some of the outer other, other areas. Um, but uh, I just listened to an interview that he gave today on Talk of the Kenai with uh, Bob Bird, and um, he basically maintained a, a similar stance in that, that interview. But at the end of the interview, he made a statement that, uh, that uh, it really it's not in his hands, but he did feel that uh, the power of the of the grand jury has been infringed, and it didn't sound like he was very happy with the response that he got from the administration when he gave an initial uh, inquiry. He also said that uh, the real power, the, the change is going to have to come from the executive. Now, um, I, hold, I, I hold this statement about him being the only legislator concerned about this uh, to be kind of suspect because I know uh, in the past we've had uh, Representative Kirka on, who is running for governor, uh, and he has weighed in on the record about this and, and has been concerned about this issue as well. And I confirmed with his, uh, his campaign today that in their first uh, day in office, when elected uh, to take the, the governor's seat, if, if that happens, uh, that he is prepared to call something called a special grand jury to specifically look at these allegations of official uh, corruption or uh, uh, criminal acts. And um, so you also wrote about uh, this issue and included Mr. Carpenter in your story. You want to tell us a little bit about, about your conversation with him? Well, he took offense at it because um, uh, he, I, I don't know why exactly. Um, I, I wrote the story. That's not his story. That's my story. And uh, I thought that he had shown great courage in standing up for this. And in listening to a radio program he did a little while ago, he again sounds very good. And yet he, he kind of called me out and he said that I had libeled him. Um, that is incorrect. I did not libel him. He's a public official. Anything, any conversation he's had with any uh, administrative person is public information. I can, could do a freedom of information request and get that. So I don't know exactly why he he took that tack, but I'm hoping that um, a, as he sees that what I'm trying to do is actually working. Guess what? There's a lot of people talking about this now, and there should be uh, now some effort on behalf of the administration to um, decide they're going to start listening to what the people have to say instead of um, more happy talk. Well, and, you know, I, I listened, uh, I actually listened to that, that radio show today, and then, then I went ahead and I pulled up your article that you had written, and um you know, I, I read this section about uh, Mr. Carpenter, and, you know, I didn't really see anything in there that uh, that was negative. And when I think of the word libel, I think of that in an adversarial context where uh, one person uh, writes something down that is uh, untrue about another person. 
and uh, and that person uh, takes offense to that and uh, and then has some kind of legal recourse because they you know the libel is is attached to this idea of damaging information or damaging statements i didn't see anything in your article that i would have thought would have been damaging to mr uh, carpenter other than maybe if we switch the perspective and say well how could what you wrote be taken as damaging the only thing I can think of is if he actually doesn't mean what your story says and your story basically paints him as a champion for this cause. And if he's taking umbrage at that and saying that, uh, that you lied about him, then maybe he doesn't actually believe what uh, he's saying on the radio. I'm, I'm, I would be curious to find out from him or, and, and I've met his chief of staff so I can, I can ask uh, Mr. Best uh, uh, if he has some insight into what Mr. Carpenter took offense at. But, um, uh, you know, everything that you said in your article seems to have been basically reaffirmed on on the uh, Talk of the Kenai radio show today that uh, he has written a letter. Uh, he got a response, but regardless of what the, the administration has said, that he believes that this is a process or a procedural issue where the court has, in his words, forgotten the procedure <laughs> for, uh, for accepting testimony from or, or inquiries from the public when it comes to the issue of corruption or, or um, criminal acts by officials. Um, so do, do you have any, any insights as to why he would think you were lying or did he specifically identify what he said in your article was not true? Well, you know, I've got it here in front of me. Um, he was asked by, um, Bob Bird and, and Bob Bird's a good guy and I'm not in any way criticizing anybody here, but he, um, uh, Mr. Bird asked him to come on the show and that was a very good thing. And I think that his presentation on the show was very good. And I think that Mr. Carpenter is doing the right thing. But somehow he got crossways here because he was upset that I called it a kabuki court. Well, guess what? A kabuki court is exactly what we have when they have no authority to do what they're doing. And yet they, and yet they put on this big show and then they, they abruptly tell the, the uh, grand jury to leave because, uh, they, they don't agree with what they're going to do. And so nobody wants to know the truth about what happened. And then we have on top of that, the person, um, Marla Greenstein, Green, I'm sorry if I mispronounced her name, who um, has been head of the, the whole um, um, the place where you go if you have a complaint against judges for 33 years. And there's 6,000 complaints that she has adjudicated all by her little self. So this is an inside deal. The whole set up, whole thing is set up and, and they don't want this to change because nobody's been paying attention all these years because we had this big uh, pipeline and all this money flowing like water. And all of a sudden now all the people that are here for the wrong reasons are leaving. And it's up to us as Alaskans to begin to take our government back. And that's what this represents. The courts have to be serving the people of Alaska, not not the special interests. So one of one of the things uh, that uh, you quote Mr. Carpenter in your your article saying, 
is uh, it is vitally important to the rule of law in Alaska that the Department of Law acknowledge the statutory authority for grand juries to investigate crime and sever any perceived supervisory relationships that may exist between prosecuting attorneys and the investigatory grand jury. And then, um, you know, right in his opening comments with Mr. Bird today, uh, he said, uh, basically, I'm pleased. He was pleased with the fact that, um, that the grand jury got to vote and that there was a majority vote, but then they got shut down by Susan Wells, the, the presiding judge, um, that she stepped in and didn't, uh, uh, didn't allow them to continue. And not only that, but then basically said, uh, we're, uh, you guys are stepping down now permanently. And he stated in regard to that, that action by Miss Wells that uh, she didn't have the authority to do what she did as, as the Superior Court judge. And um, so that seems to hold true, you know, two, two consistent statements, uh, one in his interview with you and then one in his interview with uh, Mr. Bird. And that sounds like Kabuki theater to me. Um, so, so aside from him taking offense at your use of kind of a dramatic, uh, dramatic, uh, I guess, description of the court, you know, I, I would probably have been given to call it a kangaroo court, you know, which people, people have, have heard, uh, that term I'm sure, but, uh, where, where it's all show and no go and, the, and there's not actually justice uh, uh, ruling the day but uh, outside influences that um, uh, want people to perceive one thing as the case when something totally different is the actual reality um, Jason, one of the things he says is had you reached out to me I would not have spoken disrespectfully of our judicial institution even though I think they are wrong in this matter Okay, so how you speak to them is irrelevant if what you say to them doesn't matter to them. And sometimes you got to get people's attention. And they obviously don't care. This, this matter has been going on for, dec- for decades now. And all of a sudden, it's finally coming around because we got an election coming up and everybody wants to, to get the, some attention for themselves. So my effort here is to bring this matter to the public and to we the people so that the courts understand that they're supposed to serve Alaskans. Well, and you know, Don, one of the things I've told you that I appreciate about your writing style is your use of references. And I would encourage people to go to uh, Don's uh, blog and read, read the, uh, read the article for yourself. And um, in addition to references, as, as we have done on this show from time to time, uh, he also gives some definitions. So for those of you who are not familiar with the term kabuki or kabuki theater, right here at the bottom of the page, uh, reference number one, uh, it says kabuki is a form of classical theater in Japan known for its elaborative, elaborate costumes and dynamic acting. The phrase kabuki theater Kabuki dance or kabuki play are sometimes used in political discourse to describe an event characterized more by showmanship than by content. Very, very appropriate use of the term. And, uh, you know, uh, when you see smoke, there's fire. 
when you see a spade, call a spade. And um, in this case, uh, I don't know what the people down there at the, uh, the courthouse are thinking. I've met some very fine professionals in, in my career through uh, social work and in the court system and, and working with prosecutors and, and even working with defense attorneys. But uh, something is amiss and uh, a mess. And we need to clean up the mess. You know, it's one thing to sit back and watch this with a sort of a disinterested point of view. But I'll tell you what, all it takes is for you to all of a sudden find yourself in the middle of a court where you have no confidence and then become the victim of uh, a miscarriage of procedure or the court's rules or uh, ignorance of the statute itself and to become a victim and then to really uh, in that circumstance look back on your disinterest and think, hmm, maybe I should have been a little more engaged, a little more active. You know, we have something called a civic duty and uh, that seems to be less and less uh, important to a certain segment of our community, but that's not the case in Kenai. It seems like we have more and more people engaging in their civic duty and speaking out. And I, I have read a, uh, a report or a, a notice that was sent out by Mr. Haig where he's actively calling for a sit-in. Uh, Don, what's, what's your understanding of the term sit-in? I mean, you're a little older than I am, so you, you probably remember the 60s. I wasn't even around in the 60s. But, but that's oh, yeah. something I remember from history, talking about sit-ins. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, sit-ins have been a long, I think they go clear back to the old labor days um, in the 30s and 40s when they did, did sit-ins and they forced uh, factories to shut down. I mean, um, it's, it's a tried and true way to show dis- civil disobedience. And um, it, it's, uh, it's something Mar- that Martin Luther King used, um, and that was nonviolence. It was um, making a point, and and uh, many times, as a result of that, we can see um, meaningful change. You know, I don't have a lot of hope that there's going to be a lot of meaningful change in the Alaska um, the Alaska court system. The the presiding judge is a it comes from the IBEW. He was a union union judge, union attorney. Um, you know these these guys all got special interests all up to, uh, all in their background, and they've all been in this special system they've got for for some time. Um, and as as a uh, senior Alaska senior who's who's watched all this, uh, I've gotten every single permanent fund check. I worked for the lady that was signed the first check, which was which uh, her name was Carol Berger, and she signed it because Governor Hammond was worried that Alaskans would be upset that the government was sending them free money. So I worked for her in Juneau. I looked in Juneau 20 years and I've been right in the belly of the monster. And as long as our, our, our uh, government, see the government is in Juneau, our, our goals for being a state will never be realized. Our goals for being a state was we wanted to be independently capable of running our own future and, and from Juno, that is totally controlled by special interests, primarily out of Seattle. And so I watched it firsthand, I've watched the legislature firsthand, 
and we elect these people and they go to Juno and they're instantly become many of them, not everyone, many of them instantly become um, pawns of special interest. And we have very little to say about it because nobody can get to Juno without a couple of grand and a, a week or two to be able to even go there. So the big issues of our state are not being addressed because everybody's all entrenched in their own little special deals. It goes from our public education to our state government to our, that's controlled by unions to our, to our um, court system and individual Alaskans must stand up and start saying, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. We're going to start calling them as we see them and do something about it. Well, you know, that's, that's something that, um, I've been a strong advocate for, and, and, I, and I continue to encourage people to become active. And, and you don't have to be active in Juneau. You don't have to be active at the D.C. level. And actually, uh, trying to be active at either of those levels at some point seems so much an exercise in futility. But get active in your local community. I mean, if you live here on the peninsula, and, you know, David Haig has been leading the charge on this for 18 years. He finally got some traction this year when he spoke to a couple of our local legislative bodies, you know, city councils, the borough assembly, some community groups, and uh, they all started signing resolutions. Resolutions saying that, given the information that Mr. Haig has presented, this is something for the grand jury to take up and to notice. And, and uh, you know, his initial attempts to get the court to engage were met with a bunch of bureaucratic, uh, you know, back and forth and letters. And we've had Mr. Haig on the show before, but... Uh, now he's got people who have been meeting for weeks on end every Wednesday uh, when the grand jury comes into the courthouse, uh, rallying in front with their signs and their peaceful protest and uh, trying to let these grand jurors know that uh, we want them to have the freedom to exercise the duty, the responsibility, the, the right. It's not privilege. It's a right of... Uh, citizen-led government and the alaska constitution says that all of the political power is inherent in and of and by the people and that uh you know we see these bureaucrats and they're not elected folks yes we can unelect or remove a judge at the ballot box but you know i don't know how many people actually take the time to to say no to a judge or keep up to speed on the judge my thought is that uh, basically every judge that's in there should should serve a short period of time and they should move along. I don't like the idea of I don't like the idea of career judges um, and that that's the pinnacle of their experience. I you know uh, let them go in and and adjudicate the law according to the Constitution and then let them go back into private practice or retire gracefully. I, I don't like seeing people there for for long, long periods of time, uh, especially in the certain, in the, in this circumstance where so many of the judges in our system are part of this club, this, uh, this, uh, private organization, the Alaska bar association has a tremendous amount of power in seeing who gets, uh, into, uh, into, uh, that office and, uh, who holds those seats and who ultimately ends up on our Supreme court at the state level. Go ahead, Dave, or, uh, <laughs> sorry. Jason, I'd like to say that if there's anybody listening who uh, has had an experience with the um, with the Alaska court system and um, 
and and was uh, uh, was um, misrepresented or 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 not treated fairly. Um, you know, we want justice. We want the system to work fairly, and it shouldn't have taken 18 years for uh, David Haig to be able to get to the point where anybody's talking about it. Right. So I, I would like any uh, additional stories to come forward. I have a lot of stories backed up already. People are coming to me and wanting to see my, my thoughtful presentations. And um, I, I try to use an instructional voice and I try to be informative so that people can get the big picture of what's going on. Well, and, and that's really easy to connect with you now. We, we have uh, behind the scenes been talking with Don about linking our efforts uh, with the podcast, with the social club, and with his ongoing writing. And so if you are interested in connecting with Don, all you need to do is go to the Ammo Can Coffee uh, webpage, and right there next to our podcast notice, uh, actually below it, you'll see his business card with his face and his contact information. And I've provided a hot link, so all you have to do is click on that business card, and it'll take you to his blog where then you can look at the different categories of stories. This story is listed under the uh, listing of courts, and so I think you had seven stories in there about the courts. And I'd encourage folks, you know, don't take my word for it. Go and read the article for yourself. Uh, Bob Bird was uh, quick to let folks know that they could listen to his show on the podcast. I think that stays up for a week before KSRM uh, takes it out. And I don't think that they archive those. But if you didn't hear Bob Bird's show today with Ben Carpenter, go listen to that. And uh, if anybody knows the link uh, to the to the uh, meeting that Ben spoke at in front of the borough uh, last uh, last month, um, I would appreciate getting a copy of that link and hear what what he promoted. Now, Christopher Kirka running for governor is, as far as I know, um, the only uh, candidate who's come out with a candidate's position statement on this issue. And, and said that he's going to do anything about this. And um, after the confirmation with him today, I expect to see something in the news uh, about him making this a day one priority uh, for the, the special grand jury, the appointment of a special grand jury to look into this. Now, Alaska, as I understand it, has one of the strongest, um, strongest grand jury I guess, uh, statements in, in constitution and in law of, of any state in the nation. Yet it seems like it doesn't operate at all now. Well, that's right. And there's a, uh, I think there's only 30 states that have grand jury provisions, um, uh, for a grand jury to be able to investigate state government. So we, we have a proud tradition of, of putting the power in the people who have, um, are you know, the intrepid souls that come to Alaska with the intention of making this their home and building it for future generations. We have plenty that come here for their Alaskan adventure. They put in a, a, some time, they make some money, and they get onto our teacher retirement system, our public employee retirement system, and then they go away and they don't leave anything of value. And so I, I'm really, um, as a longtime Alaskan, my dad brought me here when I was 11 years old. Um, I'm Alaskan uh, raised. I'm Alaskan educated. And I've gone ahead and decided that 
I'm going to go. I'm going to push for informing people using my teacher credentials. I was certified teacher for 15 years um, to promote information in a way that um, anybody can understand how our state works and why they have such an important role to play. Well, and you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting. This grand jury idea, you know, it's sort of like the codified. Um, version of saying, okay, so you, the people, are upset, and you have a non-responsive uh, executive, you have a non-responsive legislature, you have a non-responsive judiciary. This is like the kill switch on a corrupt system, a train that's rolling down the tracks out of control, and you, nobody knows how to stop it. And and they and it seems as though you know over the last thirty-three years that they have effectively they found the wires to that kill switch and they clipped them kill switch is still there in statute and still written about but it's it's never it's never used it's not accessible to the public who wants to flip the switch and stop that out of control uh, train and so is it any wonder that we see the crazy tyrannical sort of overreaching things that as recent as the covid uh you know, um, psychosis, uh, watching this governor, uh, Dunleavy do all kinds of things where he, you know, told businesses you're, you're going to, uh, be facing heavy fines and potential imprisonment. If you don't comply with my unconstitutional mandates, telling businesses that you couldn't travel between communities unless they were, uh, what was the term they used? Um, essential services, and uh, and if they were traveling, that they had to fill out some paperwork with with uh, the the State Department of Health and carry that in their vehicles. So if they were stopped by the troopers, that they had a legitimate reason to be on the roads. I mean, this this is sounding more and more like Nazi Germany. And you know, a lot of historians have looked back at Nazi Germany and said this didn't have to happen. But see, the Germans became complacent, and and as a people, they followed the rules. The very precise people, the Germans and their culture, they document everything, which was ultimately their downfall during the Nuremberg trials. But uh, they're very precise people, almost to the point of being OCD about it. And when the German government started saying, well, it's the law, you have to do these things, rather than question the morality of the law, whether than, rather than question uh, the, the humanity of the law and whether or not there was actual if it was just or not, they just went along. And it's time that we stop just going along and we start questioning everything. The hippies had a saying, and uh, you'll probably remember it better than I'm just referencing what I've heard in the media, trust no one over, what was the age? Oh, it, when I was younger, it was 30. 30. Trust no one yeah. over 30. <laughs> so, so, you know, question everything. And uh, just because somebody says it's so doesn't mean it is so. And, um, you know, it, just this last, uh, in the last uh, week or so here, we had an interesting occurrence where a group from Anchorage, funded by uh, LGBTQ interests in Anchorage, uh, funded a uh, event in the park. They, they, got a, uh, they rented the park. They had a march. And this park is the children's park. I mean, it's it's next to the most beautiful playground that you've ever seen. That our community businesses all all uh, contributed funds to make it happen. Um, it's a beautiful park. We have our Wednesday market down here. It's got a, a wonderful stage, lots of different entertainment things, most of them free for the community. 
And our city manager, in her infinite wisdom, uh, decided to allow this group to have a presentation. And I don't know if you saw the pictures, but uh, Suzanne Downing from Must Read Alaska um, had reposted some snapshots somebody took with their cell phone of a man in drag wearing a thong and a miniskirt doing backflips and shaking his booty uh, on stage in front of children. And um, I don't know. You tell me. Is that okay? That's what Anchorage is getting to, is becoming. And, you know, I can see Anchorage out my window here up on the mountainside above Eagle River. And uh, it's nice to be this far away. But you can actively see the darkness growing from where you're sitting. <laughs> I can actually see the windmills, windmills on Fire Island that were paid for by fee payers. Have you uh, have you seen have you seen the eye of Sauron looking your direction? No, I don't know if that is. Well, for those of you who are uh, J.R.R. Tolkien fans, you know this this idea of Mordor, this dark place where orcs and uglies live, uh, where all of the worst things in life occur, um, and it, all under one master in his evil eye, looking to and fro for those who he might devour. You might say there's an allegorical reference there to, to another enemy that uh, uh, is in the world here. Um that's kind of how it feels being here on the peninsula. It feels like the eye of Sauron is in Anchorage and it's looking to the central peninsula as its next target for defeat. We've seen a number of things happen last year. We had uh, BLM folks down here, you know, they, they were paid, they were paid folks standing out on our streets in their, their masks and their black suits and, uh, there was one woman, I won't mention her name, but she listens to the podcast, so she'll get a chuckle out of this, me retelling the story. But uh, she said she saw a jackbooted uh, BLM thug, you know, with his friends and their black hoodies all standing around looking menacing and intimidating and thinking that they were going to do something. And she drove up. She said she got out of her car, walked right out uh, into his face and basically said, go home. You're not wanted well, here. I and it kind of my heart. It, it actually kind of breaks my heart to see what's happened to Anchorage. I, as a little, as a kid, I sold the Anchorage Daily News on Fourth Avenue. It was an afternoon paper, and I sold that thing on the on the Fourth Avenue. And what I dart back and forth in between traffic, and the, the people were very careful. We were a we were the uh, a bedroom community to the military installations, and I have great regard for our military people and. And, and I grew up knowing that that this is where they were part of our community. And, and in fact, when the, when the earthquake happened in 1964, I was there, I was in Anchorage, and they immediately declared martial law, and every, everything was blocked off, and you couldn't go in, into any of the damage zones. Um, and those are highlights of my, of my youth. And I look at Anchorage today, and it's just becoming a pit. It's just the the mud flats now, and so Eagle River is trying to break away from Anchorage. Many of us want that to happen, and I've written probably a dozen stories on Eagle Exit, and I invite readers to check it out, see what you think about what they're trying to do. Um, so I'm actively trying to pursue the stories about what's happening now and what's happened to the lead to this point 
since statehood. That's my theme. Uh, Alaska through my eyes since statehood. Well, you know, on this issue of the of the LGBTQ sort of agenda and everything, I, I saw that there there are plans for an underground pride at Palmer Fairgrounds to include all ages uh, drag shows, and um, you know, getting back to community involvement, folks. If you don't like what's happening, if you don't like the way that the left is trying to hijack our culture, hijack our community, and inject uh, their immorality on our children, then you must stand up. And when I say stand up, I don't mean just complain. I mean, you must look at running for office. We have to have good, uh, uh, patriotic, morally guided people who know where the true North Star is, stepping up and running for these offices. And, and I don't mean just in Juneau. I mean in the city council, in your school board, in your electric co-op, you know, in on the, on the fair board. Because, you know, the board was faced with this question. They had to have been. And there's a governing body there that decides who can and can't go into the fairgrounds. I mean, I've tried to be a vendor there. And you have to get on a huge wait list, and you have to be vetted, and you have to meet all these certain conditions. Well, somebody sets those conditions, and that's that's our friends and family, neighbors, and or not. It seems like more and more often it's not our friends and family and neighbors, but these other interests that don't really want to be neighbors but want to promote ideas and agendas that are counter counterproductive and, and come directly against us. Have you, uh, what, what have you seen, I guess, Don there in, in, uh, Eagle river in relation to this, this issue of, of these leftist agendas? Have you, have you guys had the, the drag queen story hours and, you know, the marches and the parades and all that stuff? We, I just, I walked in the parade that we just had, um, and I didn't realize how long it was going to be. I took my dog and I put some um, kerchiefs on him, red and blue, and we, we walked it, and it was two and a half miles. I couldn't believe it. When I got to the end, I had to walk back, so I ended up walking five miles. But um, And it was a great walk, but it was a very wholesome, very positive and, and that's the way we're trying to keep it. We're trying to keep marijuana shops out of here. If you, if you want to smoke your marijuana, go get it someplace else. I can tell you, I've, uh, there was a time in my life when marijuana was something that everybody did. Well, I didn't do it. And I look at my peers now, and I feel sad for them because um, over time, it catches up with you. And it, it causes your behavior to change. It causes your perspective on life to change. And it causes your cognitive abilities to change. I'm very proud of the fact I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't use any drugs that aren't prescribed. And I have um, I strive to um, look at life with a clear eye and be sober as a judge. And I'd like our judges to also be um, people that looked at the Constitution and, and made the kind of choices that were in the best interest of the long-term benefits of Alaskans, not some bureaucracy that decides they're going to decide whether a crime has even occurred or not, and then 
try and hold people back for for um, bringing forth crimes that have occurred. And, and that's just not the Alaskan way. The Alaskan way is we are independent. We initiate. We don't wait for somebody else to do it. And we're going to make this state the best place we can be. Because guess what? We're between Canada and Russia. We are connected to the United States. And we, we have to be independent. We're top cover for the United States. And our military force is very significant. But we don't really know what's going on on the other side of the Bering Strait. And we might very well someday need each other a lot more than we, we understand. Our food security is at great risk. And I've written about that in probably a dozen stories also. We can't just My subsist story- on marijuana? What's that? <laughs> I said we can't just subsist on marijuana, you know, pop brownies and edibles. I feel sorry for them. I had many students in my adult basic education classes that made the clear decision. They had to quit smoking pot if they wanted to get their GED. And that was an important thing for them to come to terms with. And smoking marijuana in front of your kids is, is, uh, again, passing on something. They learn more from what they see than what you tell them. And you're passing on behaviors that are not going to help them in the long run in their lives. So, as a teacher and as somebody who's grown up, I didn't in the, in this Alaskan that we have here. I've been here sixty winters. Um, these are the the rule. These are the things I've learned. You know, Alaska is an interesting place because a lot of people that I talk to believe that you know oh, we're we're very very conservative. We're a Republican state, but when you look at the types of policies that the Republicans are passing and the actual things that people are voting for. Uh, you know, I have to ask a serious question. You know, are we really that conservative? If you look at the CPAC score for Alaska, we're not that high on the list as far as as uh, conservatism goes. Um, we're actually a lot lower on the list than I thought. CPAC actually considers Alaska to be a purple state now. And um, you, you mentioned something about, uh, you know, sort of planning for the future and some the, the long-term implementation. Uh, implications of policy and decisions that the the courts are making and whatnot. And I seem to recall that when this whole initiative discussion happened about marijuana, um, that, man, there were all kinds of people coming out of the woodwork telling us how great it was going to be for us, how it was just going to create this huge windfall of cash, how we were going to have all this, we were just going to be swimming in dough that we could then, you know, put towards education and treatment. And, you know, but when you look at our budget and you look at the state, you know, they're constantly telling us we can't have our PFD because there just isn't enough money to go around. And, and we've had several years now of, of this marijuana uh, economy, and I have yet to see or hear the numbers that show it was going to be su- this, this huge windfall or where that money is going, where how it's actually benefiting our, our communities. And all I see is, you know, it seems like every every other other week or so there's an empty... Uh, space and uh, you know um, retail space that's that's being reopened as as a marijuana shop and you come down to the peninsula and it's like we are going to become the destination for pot smokers by the the number of marijuana shops that we have per capita and you know it, it, it was all couched in this promise that we were all going to get wealthy we were all going to be we're all going to be better off if we just uh, accept it and stop opposing progress. 
And, um, you know, it's kind of like the conversation that happened this year when they talked about the PFD, you know. Well, look the other way. Don't don't look at the long-term ramifications of adding a whole bunch of new liabilities to our accounting spreadsheet and uh, passing this huge, huge uh, bill. You know, uh, believe the hype. Listen to Mr. Dunleavy as he tells us that, that – uh, that uh, he cut all kinds of funding and that it's a, a, a very conservative, you know, budget that he passed when it's actually 40% larger than when he first came into office. And, you know, ignore what the long-term ramifications of this are. Just accept the $3,200 we're going to give you. We'll call it the biggest PFD in, in, in history. You just ignore all the other details and it'll all just be fine. It sounds very much like the the bill of sale that we were sold uh, under this, uh, the, the marijuana initiative. Well, I'm, I'm afraid that's true. And I'm very saddened by it. I, I look at this whole marijuana thing and, um, you know, alcohol wasn't a great thing and it took a major effort to get it. As a kid, I remember so many people dying on our highways. I mean, it was many, many people were getting, and I remember coming up on cars that were weaving all over the road and it was just, like part of our culture almost. So we've fought very hard to get out of that, that culture. And now we've got the marijuana culture coming on where people are going to be driving high and, and they're going to create a whole nother kind of problems. And I just feel so bad about it because I know that it impacts you cognitively. And, and if, if people smoke marijuana, it stays in their blood for a week. So it's not like something that comes and goes like, alcohol even you sleep it off it's something where it's pervasive and it continues on and on and um you know i just i don't see that adding another intoxicant improves the value of our life if your life is so miserable that you need uh, marijuana or something like that to make it worthwhile then you need to find jesus you need to find some reality in the world that's going to um give you peace instead of chasing after things that have no value and allowing institutions to overrun your prerogatives, such as the court system is doing with the, uh, with the grand jury. So are you able to tell us, give us sort of a little sneak peek into your next story, what you're working on right now? Well, actually um, I've interviewed another candidate. I've done two candidates so far. I'm looking at candidates that I think I might be able to, um, through instruction, help people see um, that they're better candidates. Um, one of them that I've, I've done was in my own district here. Uh, Kelly Merrick was the uh, turncoat of all turncoats. Uh, she, I voted for her. Um, and she, she was the one that basically threw our legislature into a, a do-nothing legislature once again. Um, I've written that story about... Uh, one of her opponents, I'm not sure he's the one that's going to win. I don't know for sure, but I certainly um, believe that we need to not have her as our representative. She does not represent this district. Another one I've done is on District 20, Paul, um, uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of his name off the top. I'll remember in a minute. He's running against a um, gay uh, man who's got a um, gay partner and they've got an adopted child and that will be the Democrat. Um, there are three, there's a, um, independent and another Republican, but, um, I've known Paul Bauer, um, 
for a long time. He's a, been a strong military man, and the story is about him. I have another story coming up, but I'm having a little difficulty because this is a, a, a for a rural district, and the fellow in this district, um, he he talks a big game, but when you kind of put it in black and white, he, he's a little bit hesitant. So I need to figure out what it is. All of my stories, I interview people on tape. I then transcribe what they what they say, and then I write a story which they approve. I've never had anyone say that they didn't like the story, and I haven't had any really major uh, changes. As you well know yourself, Jason, I've interviewed you. So um, I've used this business model, and um, it, I now have probably over 100 people who I've interviewed over the years through this method, and anybody that's been interviewed by me knows that what I've written is the truth more from the perspective of the person that I interviewed than from me, although I put my two cents in because I'm the writer and I get to do that. <laughs> so big news next. Uh, it looks like next week we have uh, uh, Mr. Trump coming to town. Um, I'm reading here. It says that his rally is free on a first come basis unless you buy tickets. Uh, are you planning on attending that um, that that rally and, and covering that? No, I was going to take a pass on that. There will be plenty of people there, and they're all going to get their own thing. And um, I, Frankly, I've got so many stories backed up. I have a new feature writer now. Uh, I'm very excited about it. Um, David Windsor has been doing a newsletter for uh, something like eight years on real estate and Alaska economy. He's, a, he's an authority, and he's been a, a dear friend of mine for a long time. We've just uh, closed a deal on him having a featured article. Uh, his will be on Tuesdays and mine will be on Thursdays uh, talking about Alaska's economy and Alaska's um, real estate industry from the inside uh, from the inside of the real estate industry, one of the top salespeople in the state. Um, I'm very honored that he, he's coming on um, for this, and I think it's going to broaden the base of my uh, platform uh, to reach Alaskans as we deal with our economic challenges now that we have uh, uh, a uh, president who's trying to crash our national economy and, and put Alaska back into the dark ages. So uh, watch for those articles. They're, they're small. They're shorter articles than mine. Mine run about 2000 and 2000 words and are totally documented. His are going to run, run less than a thousand, but, they're going to be weekly and they're on really nice topics. The recent one he did was on whether a tree is considered real estate and what a tree represents um, to the owner and to the purchaser of a piece of property. Um, if it, uh, uh, in terms of the uh, exchange of, of the property. So um, I'm very, very pleased to have this happening and I'm looking forward to maybe other uh, consistent writers with a, Proven, um, proven writing uh, ability to again build upon my platform, which is again themed on Alaska since statehood and where we've come and where we're, we might be going. Right. Now, you know, it's interesting. Fake news is everywhere. And uh, 
it was interesting to see the spin coming off of um, coming off of the uh, 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 Fox News when they were covering this Trump rally, saying that uh, Donald Trump was um, was uh, here to support Governor Dunleavy and Sarah Palin, but said nothing about Kelly Shabaka. And, 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 uh, I know quite a few people who are working actually with Kelly Shabaka's campaign. I thought it was ironic because the reason he's coming to Alaska is specifically for Kelly Shabaka. That's right. Because he said he would come here and rally with whoever ran against Lisa Murkowski, but the media did not want Kelly's name to be spoken. Well, Kelly was, her float was kicked out of the Anchorage, Anchorage parade, a 4th of July parade, another shameful act of Anchorage. Really? Um, yes. They said that it was because they said that you can't hand out uh, material and they did it because she was all of the, her workers. And there were many of them were, were um, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. That, that they were wearing uh, Kelly uh, shirts and that that was illegal and that they didn't want that. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it in a nutshell. Alaska, home of the, I guess, uh, corrupt, uh, broken, woken uh, Anchorage uh, tail that wags the dog. But we're not going to stand for that. We're going to stand together in solidarity because everybody knows where one voice can be easily silenced, many voices raised in righteous solidarity must prevail. You've been listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club, Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. Thank you, Don, for joining us. Uh, we will be publishing this. Uh, I think Don's probably going to pick it up as well. And uh, you'll be able to see more of Don's writing. All you have to do is go to our website, ammocancoffee.ninja, and look on the homepage for his smiling face and a business card. Click on that, and we look forward to catching you next week with another great episode. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Jason.